Good morning, Golden Corner Church. Good to see you. Hey, Phoenix. Uh, I know that a lot of you are Clemson fans, and so uh, I know that you were, I know what you were doing last night. You were up late and you watched that game. Am I right? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray a little prayer before we go any further and say, God, help me stay awake and get this, okay? Help me get this. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for coming by. It is a special day around the Hodge household today. Today, Lynn and I are celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. That's right. That ought to tell you something about my wife. She's tougher than a pine knot. And if you need anybody to help you understand how to endure suffering and difficulty, she is qualified. She can do that. Uh, this morning, I want to continue a sermon series that I entitled, that we started last week, that I've entitled, Don't Just Do Something. Sit there. Now, in the first sermon, from a story found in the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, we learn that sometimes God doesn't want us to do anything but just sit there and visit with him. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, I want us to take a few moments to back up and read that story one more time. So let's start in Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. The Bible reads this way. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him, speaking of Jesus, into her home. Her sister Mary, here's a key word. You see that little word up there on the screen? Sat. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet. What was she doing there? Listening to what he taught. But Martha, however, was distracted from what? Or maybe the better question would be, from whom? Martha was distracted from Jesus. Now, Jesus had come into her home for a visit, and something wasn't allowing her to focus on him and enjoy the visit. And what was it? The Bible says she was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Martha was too busy to just be still and visit with Jesus. In time, she became frustrated, aggravated, and angry at her situation. So what did she do? The Bible says she came to Jesus. Not Mary, mind you. She came to Jesus. And said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister... Here are the three key words in this series. You see those three words? Just sits here. I got a real problem with her. She just sits here implying that she was doing nothing. Now, was she doing nothing? She's listening to what Jesus is teaching. She's doing something. Martha's going, she just sits here while I, what's that word that you're seeing behind me there on the screen? Do. She sits while I do. She's doing nothing. I'm doing everything. That's what she's implying here. Then Martha gave Jesus a command. She said, you tell her to come and help me. Tell her to stop just sitting there and to get up and do something. She's got to help me. But the Lord said to Martha, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And let me give you my paraphrase on what Jesus just said. I think he said, in the midst of all these details that you've taken care of, you've overlooked the most important thing. 
It goes on to say, Mary has discovered it. She didn't. Mary has discovered it. It. And it will not be taken away from her. Well, what was this it? This is what I believe. Mary had discovered that Jesus' relationship with her was his greatest priority. And consequently, I believe she made her relationship with him her greatest priority. Knowing that Jesus loved her more than anything she could ever do for him, Mary chose to visit with Jesus first. She wasn't about to miss out on this opportunity to get to know him better. She wasn't about to lose him in a sea of details. She just sat there and visited with him. And you know what Jesus did? He commended her for it. He gave her two thumbs up and said, you know, that's the way I wanted this thing to play out. Martha, that's really what you should have done. Not that you've done anything wrong. Man, she's doing what is best. What did we learn from that story? Sometimes God wants us to just sit there and visit him. And what did we decide we're going to do? (laughs) Don't just do something. Sit there. We're going to slow down. We're going to work on our schedules. We're going to make time for him. And there are going to be times where we just sit there and we visit with him. Now, before we go any further, let me give you a definition of what I'm talking about. When you say visit with him, people who visit with Jesus or people who visit with God, ever how you want to say this, they intentionally, and that's a key word, they intentionally eliminate or at least minimize distractions so that they can give God their undivided attention and have a conversation with him. That's what I'm talking about when I say a visit. And some of you may be asking, well, how in the world do we have a conversation with God? Well, we talk to him. And prayer is the means we use to talk to God. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, I really don't even know if I know how to pray. Well, rather than me going into any great explanation this morning, I just want to point you back In the first year, I did a series of sermons entitled The Wow Factor. And the first five sermons dealt with the topic of prayer. And if you feel like you'd need to know more about prayer, I'm going to ask you to go to our website and listen to those sermons. Or you could go subscribe to our podcast and and listen to those sermons. And so, in a conversation, we talk to God by praying. But we also give God a chance to talk to us. And we listen to what He has to say. Now, how in the world do we... Give God a chance to speak to us. We take out our Bible and we read it. And we pause long enough to really think about what we've read. Because after all, the Bible is still God's primary way of talking to us. And I know what some of you just thought. Ronnie, I'm out then because I've tried reading the Bible. And every time I've tried to read the Bible, I get frustrated because I can't understand what I'm reading. Well, if that's you, I want you to be patient with me. Because for several months now, I've been working on this series of sermons that I'm going to do, and and hopefully soon. And and if it's not a series, I'll slide in a sermon here uh, quickly where I show you how to take the Bible on your own, read it in such a way that you get it, and, and God begins to speak personally to you from it. Is that a deal? Is that good? Okay, good. Good. This group right here, man, solidly with me. I'm excited. And so that's how we converse with God. We take a little time, we read the Bible, we think about it, we talk to Him as we pray. People who visit with God intentionally eliminate distractions, 
giving God their undivided attention so that they can have a conversation with Him. Now, that's what we're all going to start doing and doing often, right? Now, that ought to raise a couple of questions in your mind. And the first question is, when? Ronnie, when will I visit God? Well, here's the answer. It's pretty simple. Whenever you want. God's available seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You don't have to phone ahead or make a reservation. He'll accommodate you whenever. He's never too busy to visit with you. You can, you can visit with him while sitting in the living room in your favorite chair, or you could visit with him sitting in a rocking chair out on your front porch. I mean, you can go down to the creek and sit on a rock and visit with him. You can visit him when you're taking your walk, or you can visit him during your commute to or from work. It doesn't matter to him. You can visit with him first thing in the morning or during your lunch break or the last thing you do in the day. He just doesn't care. God's always up for your visit. Some of you are thinking, well, Ronnie, that's not exactly what I was asking. I was asking, when would my schedule possibly allow me to do this because I'm busy. I know you are. Most of us are. But I also know this. You've got the time to do this. You just got to find it. Now, how long does it take to watch the average college football game? Huh? I'm going to make a guess here. Four hours. Right? See, I I go to bed incredibly early on Saturday night, so I'm telling you, I don't even know if they'd kick the ball off and I was in the bed. Gone. I woke up at 11, that's 8 o'clock, right? 8 o'clock was the big start time. And so 11.49, I woke up. You know what my first thought was? I wonder who won that game. I grabbed my phone, went to Bleacher Report. The game hadn't ended at 11.49. You're talking about three hours and 49 minutes. Game's not over. So if a college football game, if one takes about four hours' time, and you've got time for that. Now, tell me what some of you guys have confessed to me. And I'm just betraying your confidence. Right? You told me that you watch college football all day Saturday and most of Thursday night. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. i got to be honest with you. If Duke had been playing North Carolina in basketball last night, I would have stayed up and watched that game, even if you had to have a guest speaker this morning. So you understand, I'm not coming down on you for watching college football or, or even watching Clemson play college football. That's not it. But here's the point I'm making. you got four hours to watch a football game. Don't tell me you don't have time. You don't have the time to visit with God. You do. You just got to find it. You say, well, how can I find it? I don't know. Maybe you need to start getting up earlier in the mornings. That's what I do. I get up 30 or 35 minutes before I really need to to get to the office. You know why I do that? So I've got time to visit with God. Maybe that's what you need to do. Some of you, you need to turn the television off earlier in the evening. If you eliminated one sitcom, one sitcom per day, that's 30 minutes a day to meet with God. And after all, which is going to do you the most good? Watching Modern Family or visiting with God? I know the answer to that question. You don't have to answer. Uh, There again, not that I've got anything against modern family. I'm just saying, guys, the time is there. And for some of you parents of small children, I know this can be a real challenge. and, And this is what I would recommend to you. Help each other. 
Husbands, go to your wives and say, hey, I'm going to watch these kids so that you can go visit with God. When you're done, you come, you watch them so I can go visit with God. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. I'm saying that the time is in our schedules if we'll just look for it. One thing to remember when you're looking for time is you don't necessarily need a large block of time. Now, you needed a large block of time to watch that game last night, didn't you? Y'all act like you're scared to death of me this morning. God knows you watch the game. Really? God knows. It's okay. I hadn't dropped the hammer yet. I'm going to drop the hammer before we leave here, okay? Why did I tell you that? Because now you're really tensed up. It's going to be okay. We're going to work through this. You don't have to look for a four-hour block of time on Monday evening to spend with God. Here's what I'm thinking. 20 or 30 minutes would work just fine. And once you've found the time, start visiting with Him. And visit with Him often. Ideally, I think we ought to visit with Him every day. But if you haven't been doing this, man, if you could ease three or four visits a week into your schedule, I think it would be just great. Now, another question you may have is, why? Why, why would I do this? Now, I know why I watched that game. It was fun. It was exciting. I love that team. And I'm glad I did. It was rewarding. Why would I want to do this? Well, if you visit with God often, you'll get to know God. I mean, you'll really get to know God. He'll become more than a character you read about in a book or a character your preacher talks about on Sunday morning. He'll become very real to you. You'll feel him. You'll hear him. You'll begin to recognize his hand on your life, things that he's doing for you. As a matter of fact, you do this often, you and God will become best friends. Think about that. God himself will be your best friend. As a friend, he's a great listener. Whatever is important to you is important to him. He'll never betray your confidence. He's somebody that you can trust completely. He'll never fail you or forsake you. He'll never use or abuse you. He gives great advice. After all, he knows everything. He's a friend that has infinite resources and is glad to share those resources with you. Visit him often and he'll become the best friend you've ever had. You know, and I think this, we were talking this week, I don't remember who I was talking to, and I said, that ought to be enough. If we knew that, that ought to be enough motivation for us to start doing this. But there's more. Visit with God often and your life will get better. I know what some of you are thinking. Ronnie, come on now. That's just one of those preacher promises, right? You made that up right off the top of your head. No, life will get better. The Bible teaches that in God's presence, there's an indescribable joy. My personal experience, that's a great antidote for depression. The more you visit him, the better you know him. The better you know him, the more you trust him. And courage is a byproduct trust. And I have found that that courage is a wonderful antidote for anxiety. His companionship is a great antidote for loneliness. When you're talking with him, he'll give you guidance. You follow his guidance, you'll make fewer and fewer costly mistakes. You'll find yourself seldom having to backtrack and clean up messes that you've made. You know, there's just an overall sense of contentment that comes when you're living in a close relationship with God. You know why? Because in the end, that's what we're all really looking for. 
Visit God often, he becomes your best friend. Visit God often, your life gets better. Hey, there's even more than that. In addition to this, visit God often and God will change you and he will change you for the better. Hang out with God and he'll rub off on you. Spend time with him, you start acting like him. You become more loving, kind, patient, forgiving, even holy. That'll be good for you. That'll be even better for your family and friends. To be perfectly honest with you, there's not one habit we could develop that would have a more beneficial impact on our lives than the lifelong habit of visiting with God. Now, I've answered a couple of questions for you. When and why? I got a question for you. Why not? Why not do this? November, I'll celebrate my 29th anniversary serving churches in Oconee County on a full-time basis. During that 29 years, I've known very few people who developed a lifelong habit of visiting God. Very few. Have you? Do you often just sit there and visit with Him? Or are you kind of like Martha? The opportunity is right under your nose, but you're missing out on it. Now, my question is, why not? Here's what we've got to do. Everybody look at me. Pray that prayer again. God, help me get this. Here's what I know. I'm sharing something with you today, and this is not preacher talk. It can change your life. You get what I'm saying? You act on this? I promise you, it's life-changing. You want to hear what I'm saying next. Why not? I think there are a lot of answers to that question. I've only got time to deal with one. If, the, if, if I were to categorize them, these, these, the reasons, I think there are lots of reasons on the very top of that list. The main reason we don't visit with God often is our relationship with Him is not a great enough priority. It's just not that important to us. Fact is, we make time for things that are important to us. The Clemson and Florida State game was important to you. So listen, man, you had a red ring around October the 29th, a long time ago. Last night, if I'd have called any of you and said, I've fallen in a ditch and broken my my leg and I need some help, you'd have said, I'll be there about 1 a.m. Praying for you in between, preacher, but I can't get there till this game's over. I'm telling you, it was big. You didn't have any plans to do anything else. I mean, you were committed to this. If your spouse and your children, if they're important to you, you make time for them. If physical fitness is important to you, you make time for exercise. If recreation is important to you, you make time to play. If we don't make time to visit God, it's because our relationship with Him is not a high enough priority. So how do we fix that? We must recognize the value of our relationship with God 
Not necessarily to us, but to him. Did that make sense the way I said that? We need to recognize the value of our relationship with God, not necessarily us, but how valuable is it to him? What kind of value has God placed on our relationship with him? Uh, It apparently is his greatest priority. As I read the creation account in Genesis, it appears to me that God's primary purpose in creating people was so that these people could hang out with him. The Bible said that during the cool of the day, God would come and visit with Adam and Eve. They'd walk together, talk together, enjoy each other's company. I think that's what God had in mind for us all along. Then something tragic happened that had catastrophic results on God's relationship with mankind. Adam and Eve sinned. And how did that affect their relationship with God? God came to visit them, and they were so ashamed they ran from him, and they hid. Sin separated Adam and Eve from God. So you know what God did? If you've read, I hope you're familiar with this story. You know what God did? God stepped in and fixed the relationship. Adam and Eve didn't step up and say, we've got to fix this, did they? God stepped in and said, I can't do without you guys. Man, I, I would miss you guys too much. So this is what he did. An innocent animal was killed. Its blood was shed. With the skins... Clothing was made for Adam and Eve that they could put on so they would no longer be ashamed. Their relationship with God was restored and God was the one who took the initiative in that. However, their sin created long-term complications for the rest of us. From Adam and Eve, we all inherited our sinful nature. We were all born with an appetite for sin. Yes, we all like sin. And the Bible is clear, and none of us would deny it. At some point in our lives, we've all yielded to this predisposition to sin. And what impact did that have on our relationship with God? The Bible says it separated us. So you know what God did? Our relationship with Him was of such value. He stepped in and took the initiative. And He fixed it. How, Ronnie? I want you to listen to me. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to repair sin's damage. Jesus went to a cross where he assumed full responsibility for all our sins and died in our place as though he were the guilty party. In doing so, the Bible says Jesus took sin out of the way and he made a way where all of us could be reconciled with God. Do you understand the primary reason Jesus died on a cross was not to keep us out of hell and get us into heaven? That was not the primary reason. Listen, that's just a byproduct. The primary reason Jesus died on a cross was to reconcile us with God so that we could enjoy a relationship with Him. That's why He did it. Our relationship with God is so valuable to Him that He paid the ultimate price to restore it. He gave up His one and only Son so that we could know Him. Let me put it like this. Let's just imagine something for a minute. And I hope this is something we only ever imagine. Let's imagine that Tim Crocker's in prison. He's committed a crime. He murdered somebody on Sunday morning that told him that the music was too loud. So he's been found guilty. 
He's been sentenced to death. He's on death row. He's waiting to be executed. One day the warden comes in and says, Crocker, get your stuff. We're letting you go. You're not going to be executed. And you don't even have to stay here. You've been issued a full pardon. You don't have to pay the penalty for your crime. You'll never have to pay the penalty for your crime. We're releasing you as though you are guiltless. You're not going to be executed. Furthermore, you, are, you can go scot-free and resume your life. And Crocker goes, uh, how? And the warden says, a guy named Jonathan Hodge is stepping into your place. He's taking responsibility for that murder. And he's going to go to the electric chair for you. And we're going to execute him in your place. Can you hear Tim go, why would he do that? And the warden says, do you know a guy named Ronnie Hodge? He said, yeah, I do. He said, well, Ronnie Hodge so valued your friendship. He so valued it that he wanted to perpetuate it. He went to his son, Jonathan, and asked him if he would be willing to die in your place so that the two of you could continue to be friends. And his son said, yes, if it means that dad and Tim can continue their friendship, I'll die in his place. After my son's execution and he is set free, do you think he's going to have any problem working me into his schedule? If I call him up and say, Tim, can you take me fishing? You think he's going to make time for me? If I call him up and say, Tim, if I come over and sit on your porch, will you fry me up some fish? You think he's going to have any problem doing that? You know what he's going to be thinking? You know what he's going to say? That's the least I could do. Knowing how much you value our friendship, Ronnie, it's the least I could do. When we recognize the price God paid so we could know Him. He gave up His Son. So that we could know Him. Perhaps we'll elevate our relationship with Him to its rightful place. And make it our greatest priority. And once it becomes our greatest priority. I'll be honest with you. We're going to have no trouble. Finding the time to sit and visit with a God who so longs for our companionship that he paid the ultimate price so that we could be friends. Don't you think that's the least we can do?
I want us all to bow our heads together and close our eyes. And I, I really thought about this long and hard this week. What kind of homework do I need to give? And I, it just kept coming back to me, none, none. Don't give any homework. You know why? We need to think about this one. When we let another day slip by, having failed to just sit down for a short visit with God, we need to be reminded the price he paid so that we had the privilege to visit. How desperately he wants to know us. I'm talking right now to people who have neglected this. And I'm going to put it like this. Who've neglected God. You've neglected your relationship with him. You've put a thousand different things ahead of him. You've just buried him in a sea of details and priorities that misplaced priorities. And this is just not something you've done. I say this with all humility. I think an apology would be appropriate between you and God. Oh, God knows I have apologized. I think an apology would be appropriate. You just say, I'm so sorry, God. I've just, everything else has been so big, but you've just been just. this would be an appropriate time and place to make some kind of a commitment. And just say, God, I got it today. I got it. I want you to know something. You're first. You're first. And that's going to be reflected in my schedule, God. You're first. company, I want yours. We're going to visit. I make you this promise, God. You've got me. And I know this is what you've always wanted. Me. Just me. you got me. Father, I don't understand such love. I don't understand it at all. I don't understand such grace. I mean, not at all. I don't understand your patience with us and your relentless pursuit of intimacy with us. I don't get it. But I'm grateful for it. It's so easy, God, to lose sight of this that you love us. You love us. Not what we can give or not what we can do you love us and you long for us to know you God help us you help us long to know you the way you long to know us and 
I just pray this. I don't want us to become legalistic on this. I don't want us to squeeze a life out of it or make it a drudgery or just another task on a to-do list. I want you to help us learn to visit with you and to, and to enjoy those visits with you more than anything. I pray that our relationship with you will become our greatest priority. Help us know you. The better we know you, the more we're going to love you. Lord, I know that as we love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, we'll please you. And that's the bottom line that we want. In Jesus' name, we pray together.